invite you to take your copy of God's Word, open it up with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Uh, everyone wants to be courageous in their life. I don't know of anyone who wants to be known as someone who constantly lives in fear. Yet I think uh, many of us, if we were honest and if we were to admit this about ourselves, we would say that on occasion we have the temptation to struggle at the very least with courage. We might act tough on the outside, but inside, maybe where no one else can see, we struggle sometimes with living courageously. Maybe you're worried about the future and what the future holds, and it's the fact that it's unpredictable. You're afraid of the decisions that your kids or your grandkids are making, or for some of us, we're afraid of the decisions our parents are making uh, right now. Maybe God is calling you to do something or to go somewhere, and when you think about doing that, instead of having faith, you find yourself dealing more with fear. Where can we find courage when we need it? Where can we find courage when we face fear? How do we get it? Well, today we're going to look at a text that is one of the most famous stories in the Bible. It's the story of David and Goliath. Everyone thinks that they know this story. We, we tend to view it as a kid's story that we learn as we grow up in Sunday school. This story has become kind of an icon for our culture, and sometimes not in the correct ways. Uh, for example, if you remember the, the movie Hoosiers, they, they have a chaplain on that team, one of the, the players' dads who's a minister. And before they go, the little team, the, the little bitty guys that shouldn't even be there, before they go and face the big team, this one of the championships, he gathers the team together and he reads from 1 Samuel chapter 17 about how David took the five stones and with it he slew Goliath. And the idea is that the bigger they are, the harder they fall, and we should always root for the underdog, and we should always watch out for the one that everyone else has discounted. I want us today to look at this text and maybe come away with it with a, a closer understanding as to what I believe God intends for us to learn as we look at David's life, as we see how uh, his life shows us that we are chasing a crown. We're looking for that source of courage. We're looking for that source of significance. We're looking for that source of security. As we look at his life today and specifically his encounter with Goliath, I hope we'll learn something about courageous living. Let's jump in. There's a lot of text, so if you'll buckle your seatbelt, and if you'll listen fast, I'll talk fast, and we'll get out of here before one, okay? 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Sokah, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Sokah and Asakah and Ephesdemim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, 
and drew up in line of battle (coughs) against the Philistines. The Philistines were living in Canaan, but they weren't supposed to be there. Remember, God has given this land to Israel, and he told Israel to drive out all the inhabitants who were in this land. This is key for the remainder of our time this morning. God has already promised that the people of Israel would be successful in that effort. The only job the people of Israel have is to have faith to believe that what God said is true and then to have the courage to act on that faith. Their only job was to have courage enough to believe what God said he would do and to obey God's command. The promise of God to give Israel this land, it is the backbone of this chapter and this narrative. Verse 3. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head. He was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze arms armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now what we're reading here is something in this culture that is called representative warfare. And basically what that boils down to is that in some instances, the one army would choose one person who would represent them all, and that one person would go and face one person from the other side who represented them all all the ones on the other side, and those two individuals would fight as representatives, and whichever one won the battle, his side won. This is what Goliath is proposing. I'll represent the Philistines, you give me someone to represent you, and we will fight each other. Now, meanwhile, back at the ranch, to skip a few verses, save just a few seconds of our time this morning, Jesse sends the youngest boy, David, out to visit his brothers on the battlefield. He's carrying them some some Lunchables some peanut butter sandwiches or something that he's taking to them for their lunch that day. We pick up in verse 20. Look down in verse 20. And David rose early in the morning, and he left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. 
And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, and David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen, excuse me, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, So shall it be done to the man who kills him. David has two questions. What was the reward? And who is this big idiot who's challenging us? Now understand that the second question is more important than the first. The second question is David's real motivation, and we'll see that at the end. But the first question reveals how scared everybody is. They're offering a serious reward, but there are no takers. I mean, the the, the reward is the king would give you great riches, the king would give you his daughter in marriage, and you'd never have to pay taxes ever again. But no one takes up. Everyone is saying, okay, well, what good is that if you're dead, right? But notice how David assumes victory. David's position is, of course, whoever fights this Philistine is going to win because God has promised us victory. No one believed God's promise, and that disbelief caused them to live in fear except for one man. The reason David has so much courage is simply because he believes the promises of God. He believes that God will give him this victory because God had said he would give Israel this victory. And then verse 28 now Eliab, his eldest brother, when he heard, when he or heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and Eliab said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. Eliab, bitter, party of one. Eliab is still ticked about the fact that he got skipped over to be king and David became king. And I could pause here for a few moments and, and, and speak uh, to, to, to this truth that, that Eliab should have been one of the biggest encouragements to David, but it was nothing but a discouragement to David. His motives are wrong. He tries to get in David's head and he basically says, David, what are you doing here? Look at verse 29. David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him and toward another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. Verse 31 says, when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul. 
and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant, I will go. I'll fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. David had, you had to be 20 years old to get in the army. David's still a a teenager. Verse 34, David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear, oh my, and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Where did David learn this courage? Notice, he had courage before he got here. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we saw how David spent all those years in the meadow? His courage was not developed on the battlefield. It was developed in that meadow as he meditated on God, as he meditated all the promises of God. Do not despise your meadow. Courage and character are not developed or learned in the moment on the battlefield. They're learned in the meadow. Verse 37 tells us that David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go. And the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword, this is Saul's sword, over his armor. And David tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistines. He got those stones. What do those five stones represent? You ready? You ready? Big reveal. They represent five stones. <laughs> was it? Well, he had a five. No, we don't know how many brothers. It, it, five stones. David picked up five. That's all it means. Sorry. That's all it means. And if you read a book that tells you otherwise, they're just trying to sell you their book, okay? He picked up five stones. He's going to face Goliath. Verse 41 tells us that the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. For he was but a youth, ready and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down, and I'll cut off your head, and I'll give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know 
know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Notice how he says in verse 47 that God will give you into our hand. This is not about David. This is about God's promise to David. David is acting on their behalf. When the Philistine arose, verse 48, and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Shurim as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put his armor in his tent. So, what is the main point of this story? Is it to teach us that the bigger they are, the harder they fall? Is it to teach us that there's always hope for the underdog, so don't stop believing in yourself? It's the point of this story to teach us that if you trust God enough, you too can slay the giants in your life. Let let me kind of get to another question that helps us answer that one. What's the main point of the story? Here's the question that helps us answer that. And I don't want you to answer out loud, okay? Answer it to yourself. Who do you identify with in this story? You basically, you've got Goliath, you've got David, you've got the Philistines, you've got the Israelites. Of course, you've got God, but we're not God. We know that. So of those four, David, Goliath, the Philistines, Israelites, Which of those four do you most identify with? Now, our own opinion is that we're David. Well, I'm I'm David. I'm the the little man who God does big things through. But listen, you, I don't believe you were primarily David. This story reveals that you and I, we are Israel, and Jesus is David. Watch me. David, like Jesus, was our unexpected representative who fought the giant on our behalf while we stood on the sideline and did absolutely nothing to help him. Jesus, like David, was opposed by all his brothers And he was abandoned by all of us, his friends, at the moment of that battle. Jesus, like David, was the only one who fully believed the promises of God. 
Jesus, like David, went into the battle with full confidence and won the victory on our behalf so that we can share in it with him even though we did absolutely nothing to help him. You see, the real giant that you and I face is alienation from God and the penalty we owe for our sin. Our fundamental problem, the problem behind all of our problems is our separation from God. And on top of that, there is nothing that any of us can do about it. In fact, there's nothing that any of us want to do about it. We are hopelessly headed to hell. But Jesus stepped in and saved the day. Jesus came and as our representative lived the life we should have lived. And then as our representative died the death, we were condemned to die, taking into himself the full punishment for our sin. We could never overcome God's judgment. We stood helpless before the judgment of God. So Christ took that judgment for us and did something that we could never do for ourselves. The real giant, my separation from God, has been defeated by Christ for me. And because he has defeated that giant, I can have courage the rest of the days of my life. So here's two takeaways from all this truth. The first takeaway is this. Because Christ defeated the real giant, I can face all the lesser giants. Let that sink into your heart for just a moment. Because Christ defeated the real giant, I can face all the lesser giants. You see, in Christ, I do not have to fear death. When disease comes and death looms, I don't have to be afraid of it because even if it kills me, Jesus has defeated it and he has taken the sting out of death. In Christ, I don't have to fear the future because Christ absorbed into himself anything that would keep God from being reconciled to me. And now I have the assurance who watches over me of a God who watches over me just like a shepherd watches over his sheep. This is why David will later pen the words of Psalm 23 and verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is every day of my life in my relationship with God, every day in my life, the only things that follow me are his goodness and his mercy. And the day they stop following me is the day I find myself in his presence forever. We'll never be abandoned. So there's no need to worry about the future. If God loved you enough to send his son for you, why would you doubt that he'll care for you now? Because Christ defeated the real giant, I can face all the lesser giants. And here's the second takeaway. In this narrative, God gives us a pattern for how we can overcome the giants that we do face. 
every Old Testament story has basically helps to do two things. According to Luke 24, every Old Testament story is designed to point us to Jesus. And after that, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, every Old Testament narrative is designed to give us an example of how we should live once we have run to Jesus. We worship Christ for being the real giant slayer, and then in his name we go and slay giants ourselves. You see, understand what a giant is in your life. And to understand that properly, you have to understand it in the context of David and Goliath. In the context of David and Goliath, Goliath was a barrier in advancing God's kingdom. That's what a giant is. A giant is anything in your life that is keeping God's agenda from being advanced in your life. A giant in your life is whatever that thing is that's keeping you from fully following Jesus all the way. The key to overcoming these giants is not confidence in yourself. The key to overcoming those giants is confidence in God's goodness and faith in his promises, what Israel failed to have. One of the most tragic verses in Scripture is found in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 58, where Jesus goes to his hometown. And after doing a series of miracles all over the place, it tells us in Matthew 13, 58, that Jesus did not do many great works there because of their unbelief. Where do you see the kingdom of God needing to advance. Stop looking at the size of that giant and start looking at the size and the love of God for you. You see, the size of the giant is not the problem. It never has been. Goliath was never the problem. As we saw, a sling and a rock took care of him. He was never the problem. The problem was the lack of faith of the people of God. So we ask ourselves this morning, are we settling for a lack of faith? Are we settling for mediocrity? We need courage today like David's to follow Jesus, to do what he's called us to do in this world. That courage does not come from you. You cannot manufacture it. It comes from believing the promises of God. What is it about God that you're not fully believing at this moment? What promise of God that you in your mind know to be true, but you have yet to lay hold of it? What's keeping God from advancing his kingdom through you? Allow God through you to slay that giant. Maybe today you realize for the first time that you are indeed like Israel, standing on the sidelines while Jesus did everything in your place. That is the definition of the gospel, Jesus in my place. Has there ever been a time in your life when you simply cried out to Jesus, confessing your sins to him, admitting to him that you're a sinner, 
and asking him to be your savior. He has defeated the ultimate enemy, the ultimate giant of death, hell, and the grave. He defeated that on a cross and showed us that defeat with an empty tomb. So that today, I don't fear those things. And if I don't fear those things, there's really not anything else left for me to fear. Because if Jesus defeated those, he can defeat anything. If there's never been a time in your life when you've cried out to Jesus, we invite you to do that right now. As we prepare in just a moment, I'm going to pray. After I pray, we're going to stand and sing, and we call this our time of commitment. And maybe today you need to commit your life to Jesus. If that would be your commitment, you can let us know that. You can make that commitment public. You can come find me after the service at the next step desk and let me know that you need to make that commitment. But whatever it is that God's placing upon your heart today, whether it's committing your life to Christ, whether it's, it's asking God to give you faith that will overcome your fear, this altar will be open for you and your prayers. We'll be available to you for counsel and prayer. Whatever God's calling you to do, my only request is that you put your yes on the table to whatever God is calling you to do. Father, I thank you that Jesus came and did for us what we could not do for ourselves. That he defeated the giant of death and hell and sin in the grave. And Father, I pray if there's one here today that does not have a relationship with you, that today they would realize that you did it all. You paid it all. And that they can have a relationship with you because you've done it all. Whatever you're calling us to do, Father, help us to take that step of faith. In Jesus' good name, amen. Let's stand together.